Heard in over 40 countries and available on over 20 listening platforms. The Crypto Corner is your trusted source for blockchain news. Catch the latest episode each week on iTunes, Spotify, or by telling your smart device to play The Crypto Corner. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes. What's up, everybody? Crypto Kid here. And this week, I'm joined by a very special guest. She's a content creator, speaker, and vocal advocate for the blockchain space. She's been featured on MTV, Fox, Bloomberg, and more. Please give a warm welcome to Rachel Siegel. Well, let's talk crypto. Let's, uh, we got just two days until the halving, you know, just over two days. The block rewards dropping from 12.5 to 6.25. Hash rate sitting at 120 exahashes, which is like most secure Bitcoin's ever been. So I'm going to hit you with a couple blockchain, crypto, Bitcoin questions. And uh, I don't want to take too much of your time. So let's go ahead and just get right to it. <laughs> All right. I am excited. Considering blockchains are immutable, do you think that a blockchain or blockchain technology or a platform powered by blockchain could be leveraged for the purpose of recording modern history instead of the, the standard textbook way that we do it so that future generations can learn from it and not have to worry about bias or author bias or things like that? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, I have a couple of thoughts on that. The first would be that I do think it's an interesting way to record uh, true facts um, and information like that about events that have happened to the past. Um, however, when it does come to uh, history and you know stories translating over time, I think there inherently always is some level of bias. So if you go to reporting anything outside of facts, uh, numbers, things that happened on the dates that they happened, um, et cetera, things like that, then there's, there's always, in my opinion, going to be some sort of bias, at least in the input of uh, the information. Um, so I think that that's sort of important to remember. But as far as understanding, like, you know, this is what happened on this date um, and this is how it affected this many people, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I think that it could be a really good use case. What I think the problem is, is like you said, there will always be bias. So I think what would be maybe a solution would be something like a blockchain-based platform that could capture modern history and factual-based events and data in a way that bias could not be introduced to it and it could be recorded to the blockchain. What do you think about that? What is your idea for the solution to prevent the bias? I mean, obviously, if there is a solution, I do think that this is a great use case uh, for recording this information and saving it for people uh, in the future to be able to analyze without the bias. Um, I'm just not sure what the inherent solution for that is. So I think there's platforms that, that bigger companies right now, like IBM and those guys are working on for blockchain voting, where all the voting would be on, on the blockchain and it would be secured and it would be permission-based. You could go in and, and view those records. Um, and that's captured in a way that um, there's no bias influencing how, those, how that data is recorded. I think a system like that might work but it, it would be interesting to see if that could be used for something like modern history. I'm wondering if you think there's any other sectors where this type of, this type of platform would be useful. 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, for verifying authenticity of products in both food supply and medical supply, I think that blockchain can be extremely valuable. Um, I also know that recently, you know, with the COVID pandemic, that um, VeChain was working to uh, supply and uh, guarantee authenticity of KN95 masks. So I thought that was a really cool use case that actually just happened. Um, and and seem to work. Uh, so for purposes like that, where you really do need to guarantee that authenticity, I absolutely I believe that blockchain technology can be leveraged to assist in that. I agree definitely. There's so many cool use cases that are popping up. Like you have the new olive oils where you can trace where the olives came from. You have wines where you can trace where the grapes were grown and what temperatures they were kept at. I mean, it's it's incredible what you can do with just basic blockchain technology. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah, no, absolutely. So Elon Musk said, we're like the biological bootloader for AI. Our intelligence will represent a very small percentage of, you know, worldwide intelligence. Whereas, you know, AI will be, artificial intelligence will be kind of like the 99% of the data. I mean, it kind of is because we already access so much data on the fly via smart devices. Uh, but my question is, do you see a similar thing happening with our monetary system? Instead of going into a brick and mortar store and throwing some cash at somebody, um, it's all going to be like touch and go online, kind of like they do it in China where you fill your cart and they, they zap you with near field communication when you walk out and charge you. Do you think that's the future of payments? Or do you think there will still be a place for, you know, hard payments, physical payments, especially in a in a time where, you know, the six feet rule and everybody's like cash is dirty, you know. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Is it now the best time to move towards this type of a payment system? I mean, fundamentally, you know, in the history of payments, uh, they've always progressed, they've always advanced, you know, even without the consideration for something like Bitcoin or blockchain technology. We went from cash to checks to credit cards to PayPal to Venmo. And um, now that we're looking at a more intricate technology uh, with, honestly, um, a better use case. Uh, it functions better. It works better. Um, and all this information is readily available. Uh, I do believe that we will move towards um, an easier mode of transaction, uh, as we always have. Now, I don't know that necessarily this easier mode of transaction is going to be this specific technology in any specific way. You know, um, it, it's going to adapt itself uh, the way everything else has adapted to itself, and there will be uh, tests, and there will be failures, and there will be successes. Um, but I do absolutely believe that it will continue to evolve, uh, honestly, as it has always evolved. I agree. There, there comes a time where it's it comes down to convenience as well, and I think it's a generational thing. Whereas um, I, if you look at kind of the payment breakdown, the, how payments are made and by what age group people are, are buying in retail, whether it's online, um, in stores, whatnot, it, it seems like the, the older generations usually st still stick to a cash check and, and sometimes debit, small percent debit. And then you look at, you know, teen to 18, the, they're making payments. It's all Venmo, PayPal, near field cards, the near field phones, everything like that, that they don't even have to really, uh, 
you know, and, and the mass of online purchases where they don't even have to leave their house to transact. Um, it, it, it's becoming, it's becoming an interesting uh, landscape for payments. And I feel like, I feel like the digital uh, touch and go kind of payment standard is going to be the future, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I honestly think it already is. Now, the question is, uh, when does it turn to uh, cryptocurrency and blockchain? I found on YouTube uh, a few of your, you know, stand-up talks where you talk about blockchain and and you have a lot of great insightful stuff and it's honestly some of the best stuff that I've found of somebody live, you know, and advocating on behalf of blockchain and cryptocurrency. So I wanted to get your opinion on blockchain and cryptocurrency education. Um we hear from a lot of people that it's scarce, only a handful of colleges right now are actually teaching blockchain programs and have this type of education. I mean, online resources are becoming more and more accessible, but they're not like widely available. And there's not really a consensus on kind of the standard of teaching as there is like with mathematics, social studies, uh, language arts, science, things of that nature. So do you think that that we as a, uh, a community, as a, as a crypto community, is there a way to address this to create some type of a, maybe not a Wikipedia, but some type of a wiki for blockchain and cryptocurrency to, to take care of educational resources and just kind of have a hub? I mean, um, Everpedia is a thing. I don't know if you, do you, do you know about Everpedia? I'm not familiar. Sorry. It's um, it, it just like, it is what you described. It is like Wikipedia, but for like blockchain, big, Bitcoin, um, Everpedia. You, you should look it up. You might be interested in it. I don't know if it's actually solving the problem that you want to solve, but it is that. Um, like fun, kind of like fun learning, you know what I mean? In a way that's easy and accessible. Like yeah. some people will just be like, oh, I want to learn something and go hit the Wikipedia. Whereas some people will want to jump on YouTube and say, go watch a fun, easily accessible music video where they can learn something and also have a good time doing it. Yeah, no, I mean, there, there is um, obviously a difference between what we would continue, uh, consider to be a traditional educational program and learning on the internet. Um, however, I do think in these times right now with social distancing that it is going to become more normalized to learn on the internet. So we might see some crossovers um, in those groups. But in order to get more information about blockchain out there, you know, honestly, we just need to be creating more um, product about blockchain. It's about getting the word out there. Um, and, you know, you see things like uh, the Google trends, you see like the more people who look it up, how it affects the market. Um, getting the information out there and getting it accessible to people matters. Um, and when people see it, they start uh, interacting with it. I mean, when it comes to college courses, albeit I went to a fairly liberal school, um, but I would notice that courses would come up based on things that were going on. You know, they would name a course after some recent event that had happened in the last year and how it would relate to something in history. Now, I think that when we start being more of a prominent recent event, uh, that we will start to see that change in terms of education. Um, everything's just sort of about the now. And I think that a lot of people are are themselves waiting to see sort of the structure of blockchain and Bitcoin uh, develop. You know, we are fairly advanced to where we've gun, but we are still a fairly new um, industry. 
with most people that I speak with on the show, it's it's consensus is that cryptocurrency and blockchain is still in its infancy as ter- in terms of technology, in terms of its its lifespan. You remember when they'd send you an AOL disk in the mail and it'd give you a seven day free trial and you could plug in your mo in the back of your old Windows ninety five computer. You get a seven-day free, free trial at AOL, and that was internet, right? But that's really not how internet works. Now that yes, I, you know the modern computer user knows usually how to hook up, connect to their Wi-Fi on their router, and plug an Ethernet cable in the back of their computer. We know that AOL is not really how the internet worked at its base level, and I think that blockchain um, and and Bitcoin, namely, with a, a few other of the top cryptos, are still kind of in that stage. Um, even though they were developed what, 11 years ago, I think they're still in that early stage of their life. Oh, absolutely. I, I think so as well. From a lot of different angles, you know, both the tech and the way that the users uh, engage with it. So another question that I had for you is, in my opinion, the most important part of the Bitcoin white paper is at the end of the first sentence in the first paragraph, it says, without, quote unquote, without going through a financial institution. But then you have incomes Coinbase, incomes Binance, things of that nature, where these are not just exchanges where users can go to, to, you know, buy and sell crypto. It's a place where you go and you deposit your crypto and then you, you, you trust that that exchange is going to allow you to withdraw your rightfully owned cryptocurrency that you deposited. So with, with that comes more and more greed. They're stacking large amounts they list a new coin and then they stack it and then it goes up in value and then their holdings go up in value. So Bitcoin, in my opinion, and and from what I understand from the white paper is that it was designed to be peer to peer. Do you think that with the advent of exchanges and with exchanges becoming so prominent in the game, do you think that we've strayed too far away in order to achieve what Bitcoin and most other cryptocurrencies were designed to do? You know, it's funny. I think this might be a slightly unpopular opinion, but um, to people who are completely tied to, you know, the white paper and the stance and what Bitcoin was meant to be, I think that Bitcoin in itself, you know, in, inherently uh, exists a social movement, you know, and and when there's a social movement, there's, <laughs> there's a will, there's a way. And, uh, Typically, in situations like this, they create a life of their own. Uh, Bitcoin has created a life of its own outside of us, outside of what we think it should do, outside of what the creators believed it should do. Bitcoin is its own entity. It lives and it breathes. Um, so I don't, I don't necessarily spend too much time thinking about what it should have been or, or tying myself too tightly to what those inherent uh, you know, first rules of Bitcoin were because Bitcoin um, is going to be what it is going to be and it's going to change and people are going to get involved and it's going to continue to change and adapt um, both in its use case its functionality and and the way that we perceive it Um, and I think that if other people who might be more tied into that white paper um, you know original maximalist people who are very heavy and strong uh, in their belief um, about you know its original intention if they can start to see the overall benefit of it, um, that that maybe it, it will help us in some way. Now, I'm not saying disregard the white paper, but I am saying um, it, it's more than the white paper at this point. I completely agree. And see, the reason I ask this is because 
there's so many Bitcoin maximalists that are out here like it's the Bible, right? Do we really want Bitcoin to be thumped on people in its in that form as of like the white paper, right? When we wouldn't go thumping people with that original AOL disk and say, this is the internet, this is the internet, when no, the internet has evolved and it has adapted to mankind and the way that we use it and the way that we leverage it and the way that we access it. It's really interesting to see some people, it's kind of a divided subject. Like you said, a lot of people are like, well, you know what? The white paper says what it says, but you know, with, with popularity and with, with this technology and you're going to have interest by bigger companies, just like you did with the internet industry when it was very young. I mean, you had the likes of, you know, few companies that kind of were in on it, but now you look at the internet in and of itself, it's kind of a, it's not really a monopoly. There's a lot of different companies that offer it. So it's kind of like you look at you look at exchanges and in some cases you have people on the other side that say, well, the more exchanges, the better, because that decentralizes the market, that decentralizes the game. And it gives people that aren't fully educated in maybe in a country where some exchange is banned or not available, it gives them an endpoint to get into Bitcoin and cryptocurrency without having to jump over the normal hurdles. And in, in that way, it can still be accessed and used as a peer-to-peer currency because they're then trading it. They're then helping with volume in the markets. I mean, it helps with growth, in my opinion, no matter how you cut it. Yeah, no, I agree. I I agree. Anything you can do to get it out there matters. So another question for you. What is your opinion on what's going to happen after this halving? We've only seen it twice before. Um, and each time it, it, I've seen conflicting news articles, you sometimes you see Cointelegraph will post something and it says, well, this is what happened uh, a week after it. But then you see an article two days later, but here's what happened, you know, two, three, four months later after a having, what do you see happening? Do you think this is going to change the game in the, in the current environment that we as people are in the current financial state that our country is in with unemployment so high? Do you think there's going to be a huge vacuum towards decentralized currencies and Bitcoin? Or do you think, do you think the having is just going to be a non-event like some people are, are saying? I don't think that necessarily those two things are going to be correlated. Uh, so I think that the having could be an event, but I don't necessarily think that it would indicate that people are turning to decentralized money in this like time of economic instability. Um, I think that the people who are not using cryptocurrency just don't know enough about it to get onboarded right now while all this stuff is going on. The idea of money as a whole is uh, quite scary right now. You know, um, Getting involved in Bitcoin, you see the money running up, but uh, you also see these large dips. I I don't know that it's necessarily going to immediately become a resource. And I don't mean Bitcoin, uh, just Bitcoin, like, but other cryptocurrencies as well. Um, I I don't know. I I don't think that they know enough about it. That would be my answer. I I just don't think that people have the information to, to, for us to actually see a cultural shift right now. That makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I see where you're coming from completely. It could be a generational thing, like there's still that hurdle of getting into it. So that might prevent people from jumping in on it. But then you also see the reports of like what having the supply can do. Bitcoin's one of the few things that is deflationary. And that was the one last thing that I wanted to ask you before we wrap this up was the United States used to be on the gold standard, right? Do you think you think Bitcoin is is 
strong enough for a country to go on something like the Bitcoin standard? Not right now. I think, you know, the technology is, I think that the infrastructure uh, could be, but I, I don't think that where we stand right now, as far as like a perception, again, a cultural movement, I, I don't think so yet. Um, but that's not saying that the technology couldn't. I believe the technology could. Um, it's just a matter of opening up the eyes of a more common consumer um, who's not already involved with us right now. I completely agree with that. I don't want to take too much of your time. So if you want to, you know, drop a few lines on what you got going on coming up, go ahead and take the floor for a minute. I'll let you do that. And other than that, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I've had a great time. Um, I hope we can do this again sometime. Yes, absolutely. It's been great talking to you as well. Always happy to come on. Um, if anybody wants to check out my content, um, you can find me at Crypto Finally on Twitter or YouTube. I stream live on Fridays and just talk a little bit about the cryptocurrency space, what's going on in the community, um, and what we can do to sort of get the word of Bitcoin out there a little more and make it accessible. But that's, that's basically me at Crypto Finally. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me as well. Hey, I, I appreciate you coming on, ladies and gentlemen, Rachel Siegel. All right, everybody, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for stopping by, and I hope you have a great weekend. The Crypto Corner with your host, Crypto Kid. It is a huge deal. There are tons of people working on this, from financial institutions to technology companies, startups, and universities. For the first time in human history, we have the key to unlock our door. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. BTC is currently trading at roughly $9,750. BCH is currently trading at roughly $267. ETH is currently trading at roughly $212. XMR is currently trading at roughly $64. LTC is currently trading at roughly $47. ONT is currently trading at roughly 50 cents. ZRX is currently trading at roughly 43 cents. XRP is currently trading at roughly 21 cents. BAT is currently trading at roughly 22 cents. X LM is currently trading at roughly 7 cents. Produced on location at Chicken Valve Studio. Studio. Studio.